This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Since you've been gone, I can do whatever I want, and I can see whomever I choose. I can eat my dinner in a fancy restaurant, but nothing, I said nothing can take away these blues, because nothing compares, nothing compares to you. A song of loneliness, unreciprocated love, how can I go on because nothing compares to you? What's your you? What's your you? Nothing compares to blank. What would you say? Well, this is a church, so I'm going to say Jesus. And you should, but what if we are speaking honestly? As in, if I asked your spouse or a good friend or someone who's with you, a coworker, hey, what's their you? What's it? Nothing compares to what in this person's life. What well, would be written down? Maybe on the bottom of your sheet, maybe write something down. Nothing compares to this in my life. If you took this away, my life would crumble. I couldn't go to a restaurant. I couldn't do the things that I like. If you took this away, oh, everything would fall to pieces. How would you fill in that blank? When I was 10, I had an armless sock monkey. You guys remember sock monkeys? Some of you had a sock monkey? Mine was an armless sock monkey. Uh, my mom made crafts, did lots of crafts, would go to craft fairs, and I'd kind of absconded with this craft in process. A sock monkey is basically a tube sock that you stitch up at the end, add some legs, add some arms, sew on some buttons for eyes, and then there you, you got yourself a monkey. Mine was an armless sock monkey, had the legs, had the eyes, no arms. Actually, I don't even think he had eyes. But to me, it was nothing compared to armless sock monkey. Nothing compared to armless sock monkey. If you took that away, mm-mm, mm-mm. What about you? If we took this away? Nothing compares to this. When it comes to maneuvering life and all of its practical challenges, the Bible said there's actually an answer to that question. You might be surprised to find out that it's not armless sock monkeys. You might be surprised to find out it's not social media. You might be surprised to find out it's not celebrities' opinions or sports teams, or sports. In practical questions of business, and relationships, and justice, and right living, the Bible says nothing compares to wisdom. Nothing compares to wisdom. And if you were just like, yeah, I didn't see that coming. I'm glad you're here. This will be helpful for you. Nothing compares to wisdom. Get wisdom, the Bible says. So would you stand, please? I'm going to read from the book of Proverbs, and we're going to stand just out of respect. If you're watching online, I'd encourage you to stand, too. You can follow along on the screen as Nikki walks us through the passages. I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 3, 13 through 20. Listen, words of the Lord. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets 
understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down their dew. Don't sit down yet. Maybe some of you are starting your own business or you run a business. You have boxes to check and plans and budgets and materials and loans and staffing and clients. Is wisdom on your list? Maybe you're starting a family, have a young family. You have dreams and expectations and there's showers and shopping and calendars and appointments. Is wisdom on your list? Maybe you're looking at your life and it's quite a mess right now. And you're asking yourself, how did I get here? I have debt and I have heartbreak and I have disappointment and I have anger and I have questions. Is wisdom on your list? Let me read this passage one more time. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Please have a seat. Nothing compares to wisdom, the Bible says. You're blessed. Greater than money, silver gold and jewels it lists with her comes success and with her comes honor with wisdom comes pleasantness and peace so why don't we unpack wisdom today in our time i had a biometric screening a couple days ago and it always becomes a, a sermon illustration it always feels right this is something that we should talk about with others as we talk about my numbers and the biometric screening is designed by the company that my wife works for. She works for a medical organization. You come in, whether you know, you're an employee, spouse, and they do a biometric screening and to get lower your insurance. Because the idea is we'll present you with your numbers and we'll offer some guidance and some insight so that you can lead a more healthy life, which as a result lowers insurance demands and demands on the healthcare system. It's a good plan, right? I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get my finger pricked and we're going to do measurements and we're going to do looking and all this other stuff. And then say, hey, look, cholesterol is kind of like this. You use a little bit more fiber. Hey, you need a little bit more exercise in your life. Da, 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 da. Make this choice so that we can go down the path of life. You're making this choice that's leading down the path of death. We can understand that, right? That makes sense to us. And we're like, really? That's crazy. If I make this choice, there's going to be bad consequences. Like, yeah, that's true. We know this. We can connect that in our physical being. That makes sense to us. 
Because in your notes, write this down. God's creation links deeds with destiny. God's creation links deeds with destiny. I do this, it takes me there. In verses 19 and verse 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Notice the structure, okay? By wisdom, by understanding, by knowledge. He founded, he established, he ordered God's creation has a framework to it. He found it. There's boundaries. There's limitations. Things happen in a certain place in time. He says, here's day, then here's night. There's a boundary. There's a framework. Water, you go to this point. Land goes to this point. Like you're framing a house. You're building and constructing a house. This is where this is going to go. This is the support system and the structure for that space. Even chaos and evil function within God's authority, underneath God's sovereignty. It's the book of Job. Read the book of Job. Bad things happen? Yes, God says, but it's only going to go this far. God's creation has a framework. God's framework includes a provision with it. That's what that word established means. That within this space, God provides. There's grace provided Within this space, God sustains things. You look at the creation story in the beginning of Genesis. Here's water space so that things that live in water can thrive. Here's land space so that things that need land can thrive. Here's the framework. Here's the provision that goes within it so that it can thrive. I'm putting this grace for that purpose in that location. You can illustrate that. Just come to my wife's backyard. There's this amazing flowery yellow bush thing that's massive and it's elegant. And it wasn't there a couple, I mean, it was there a couple years ago. It was there last year, but it wasn't doing its thing. Like now it's just like, oh, like, oh my goodness. That thing is, you walk by like, look at that flowery, yellow, bushy plant thing. That's amazing. How is it? That's incredible. Because for year after year, my wife has worked to nurture that space for that plant so that it can be established and thrive and grow. There was a framework. Within that framework was her provision so that plant could become everything that it's supposed to come. Ever have a parent say to you, hey, come inside, it's time for dinner. Come inside, it's time for dinner. Why? Because inside at the table is the location where we have said, provision for dinner happens. This is the dinner space. This is the dinner place. Come here. This is where dinner is. God has a framework. His creation follows that framework. And God has said within that framework, he has established this provision. God's creation thrives within that order. Think seasons. I love seasons. That's why I live where I live. But yeah, sometimes Ohio gets a little, you know, PMSy and kind of switches things around, right? You know what I'm saying? Like you think it's summer, they're like, boom, blizzard. You think you're moving into spring, boom, more winter. 
But for the most part, there's a progression and there's an order and there's an expectancy. That's what he's talking about. He says, hey, this is how the waters come up. This is how the dew comes down. There's an order to the way God has placed his creation and his creation thrives within that order. There's an ecology. There's a balance. We are now a couple generations in realizing what happens when we don't respect that ecology, when we don't respect that balance. You can understand this. We call it sowing and reaping, right? We understand sowing and reaping. That makes sense to us. I plant that seed. I can expect to reap that plant. What Proverbs wants us to understand is that relationships, business, social issues are all a part of God's creation. That there is a framework, that there is a provision, and that there is an order that we see mirrored and metaphored in the physical world. There was no point in my biometric screening where I got surprised. Okay? He comes up to me with a tape measure. He measures my waist. And I was like, holy cow, how did that happen? I was not expecting that. That's, get out. He's like, I don't know either. He asked me to step on the scale. I looked down at the numbers. I was not surprised. Oh, my goodness. How did that number get there? I was, how did that happen? That, that, that number surprises me. The number did not surprise me. I knew what that number was going to be. I was a little bit surprised with the cholesterol, though, because I had been working hard on it. And the last time I had a biometric, my cholesterol was like, and of course, she hears that part, right? And so what I, I made conscious is I'm going to eat avocados and fish, and that's good fats. I'm going to change, make sure I make some dietary shifts. But because in God's creation, deeds and destiny are linked, because I made those changes, I received those results. We know this in the physical world. Why do we get so torqued out when it surprises us in relationships or in the spiritual world or in every other aspect of life? This is a moral universe. It's not neutral. God's creation has a grain to it, like wood has a grain to it. And wisdom is that grain. And the wise person lives in harmony within God's creation and respects and follows the grain. How odd would it be for us to think that we can live against the grain, walk against the harmony of God, and that everything will turn out okay? That would be weird, wouldn't it? How odd for us to get surprised at when we open the doors to chaos, like the cat in the hat, we get surprised that everything goes to pieces. Remember the story of the cat in the hat, right? I don't know if I'm allowed to tell that story. It's Dr. Seuss, and I know that Dr. Seuss is bad, so. Mom goes off. Kids are at home. Open the door, and in walks the cat in the hat. And what does the cat in the hat bring with him? Chaos. Box after box, thing after thing, chaos after chaos. What's the fish say? Oh, when your mother finds out. 
when your mother gets home. But in the story, chaos will clean up after itself, won't it? Which is the great lie of the cat in the hat. Because chaos does not clean up after itself. But we get surprised. We open the door to chaos. We'll open the door to the cat in the hat and because this is a moral universe. We get surprised when things break and get more broken and more corrupted and more fractured. Wow, how did that happen? Grain and harmony. Or, like the author of Proverbs says it, in your notes, write this down. Arriving at the good life requires following God's path. Arriving at that good life requires that we follow God's path. The writer of, of, of Proverbs is concerned with guiding others into the good life, as he'll, as he'll describe it, as the writers will describe it again and again in message after message. Okay? The good life as God intended it. Not the good life as a celebrity said that it's the good life, or as culture said. The good life as God has purposed it to be. Thriving. The book of Proverbs is not concerned about how you get to heaven. The book of Proverbs isn't concerned about how you get saved. Good churchy 20th century words. The book of Proverbs is designed to help you live well. Practically. Today. Which is helpful because some of us are so heavenly minded, we are no earthly good at all. We are so heavenly minded. We got our holy bus ticket. We're just waiting. We are no good to neighbors. We're no good to our family. We are no good on a daily basis. Well, at the same time, on the other side, some of us are so earthly minded, we have no respect for God's kingdom and cannot figure out why everything falls apart around us all the time. Like all the time. But this passage begins and ends with blessing. You are blessed if you find wisdom. The one who clings to wisdom is blessed. Who doesn't want the blessed life? Go ahead. You want the blessed life? It's okay. I know Christians really struggle with this one. Are we allowed to raise our hand? Can we raise our hand? Are we allowed to say that? That feels like it's a naughty gospel thing to do. Are we allowed to ask God for a life that's pleasing and abundant? I didn't say the best life now. I said the blessed life now. We don't teach prosperity gospel here. I don't think the Bible teaches prosperity gospel. Meaning this, if you do A, B, and C, you get three jets and an airplane and a mansion. That's, that's, I know that's me mocking it, but in essence, that's the theology. God said this, and it's a promise, and so I claim that promise, and I will get that thing. The book of Proverbs is not promises. The book of Proverbs is probabilities. That's an important distinction. That's an important understanding when you approach the book of Proverbs. As the wise over ages and decades and generations have looked across time and looked across people and seen, probably, hey, you know what, this happens. When you make these choices, pretty much this is what happens. You make this choice, this is what happens. Not promises, probabilities. That's important because do bad things happen? Do bad things happen? Yes. We're, playing, we're praying with 
uh, one of our families in the, the first gathering, uh, Brian and Karen Cron, they have a daughter on the Oregon area where right now 12,000 acres are, are ablaze. 12,000 acres, 12,000 acres are all afire. And it's 18 miles from their daughter's house. Their son-in-law is a logger. He's out trying to help the team just build up fire breaks and trenches. And it's sad as they're sending back pictures as cabins and homesteads that have been in families for generations are just destroyed. And the simple theologian, the undiscerning theologian, will say something foolish like, well, if Oregon had trusted Jesus, God wouldn't have judged Oregon with fire. You don't read your Bible at all. Bad things happen. The whole book of Job, a righteous man who loses everything, a man who lived wisely, lost everything. Life is complex. It's complex. Now, a word to those who are anti-prosperity gospel people, like you got prosperity gospel on this side. Hey, just name it and claim it and you get your airplane. Okay? You got, you got anti-prosperity gospel people on the other side, which swing all to the other side and basically say, you need, if you're really following Jesus, then you should be suffering and sad all the time. Like, because if you're suffering, then you know you're following Jesus. Because that's what it means to follow. You just suffer. It's all suffering. It's all pain. It's all anguish. There is no peace. There is no abundance. There is no goodness in this life. If you're not sad, you're not doing it right. Come on, you know these people are out there. They got baptized in vinegar. They're just miserable, and they like it. They like being miserable because they've connected with it. They've swung so far to the other side. That clearly following Jesus means you're miserable all the time. Bad theology. Then you need to take the book of Proverbs out. Because what does it say? Here's the blessed life. Not the best life, the blessed life. Sometimes chaos enters because we live in a world with chaos. It's that simple, right? Sometimes Chaos happens because we live in a world with chaos. Okay. Yesterday, one of my sons got up from the couch, walked over to the counter in the kitchen, passed out right in front of his mother, fell to the ground, collapsed. It wasn't scheduled. It wasn't on the family calendar. We didn't have a meeting about it ahead of time. There, was, there would have been preparations and planning and prayer. There would have been, I mean, my wife would have had a spreadsheet so we could do it in a certain order. No, he got up from the couch. He walked to the kitchen counter. He, my wife looked at him. He swayed, blacked out, and dropped to the ground. Never done this before. And so you can imagine, for about 10 seconds, things went nuts in the house. You've never done this before. conversations later, moments later, there's like, hey, maybe he has, you know, little blood pressure challenges. My wife grew up, had some of those challenges, remembers what that feeling is like. You ask him about it, he'll laugh because I knocked myself out. 
Check this out. What if I did this when I was driving? Not helping. Not helping at all. Mommy's not not help mom right now. What if I'm cutting the grass and I knock myself? No, don't talk anymore. Rest of the day, don't talk. Just stop. Just. Chaos came in. Why? Because we live in a world with chaos. That's all. That's all. We live in a world with chaos. Sometimes chaos comes into the house. Why? Because chaos is looking for us. There are spiritual forces that have volition and will and intent to corrupt and damage and destroy your life, our life, my life. We know that the Bible testifies to that fact. We will bump into chaos sometimes because chaos is looking for us. Sure. Those two reasons are out there. But really, there's a third reason, too. Sometimes chaos runs through our life because we open the door, fling it wide, and welcome chaos to come in. Because we don't follow God's path. We don't respect God's plan. And when you step outside of God's framework and you disrespect God's order, you move away from God's provision and God's grace. And hell follows. You're not persecuted. You're just foolish. There is no best life now. That level of reality requires the return of our king. But the Bible and wisdom says that we can have a blessed life now. How? Follow God's path. So it says, verse 17, her ways are the ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. Follow God's path. For students of Proverbs and really the Old Testament, this is no surprise, right? Nothing new. Two paths. It's two paths. Moses saying to Israel, sermon after sermon after sermon, I set before you the paths of life and the paths of death, the lives of blessing, the lives of cursing. Choose life. Prophet after prophet after prophet comes to Israel. You're choosing the path of death. You're choosing the path of death. Please come back. Please repent. This is where that path goes. Proverbs is about learning to discern God's path and avoid death's path. The best illustration is the Garden of Eden. It really is. The best illustration of this is the Garden of Eden. And I think the author really wants our minds to go back to that. I mean, if you look at those verses, he's talking about tree of life, creation of earth, creation of heaven, creation of the waters. Kind of says, hey, have Eden in the back of your mind when you're having this conversation. Broad strokes. What's the opening story about in your Bible? Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God takes chaos in the deep and borders it and says, here, that's where the waters go. Out of that, there's a framework for land to come up. Why? Because he's going to make dirt beings, and dirt beings do well on the land, not so good in the water. So God establishes a framework for his provision of his people. And on that land, he places a garden, a paradise, and inside that, two trees. And he looks at it, this is a good place for humans to be. You, this is a good place. I have made a framework for you. I have made provision for you. This is a good place for you to be. From here, we can launch out and bring order and framework and provision to the rest. Stay close to me. Eat that tree. Don't eat that tree. What do the humans do 
I want that one. Symbolizing what? Picturing what? That's the way that God said I'm supposed to live. I receive God's provision from that tree. When I choose this tree, I am choosing self. I will decide what is good. I will decide what is evil. And what instantly happens when humans pick that tree? Cast outside of the framework and the provision and the order of God's care. And he says to the man, you will now experience death. You will work and it will cost you your life. You have to now carve out your own being because you've decided to step outside of the framework. Earlier in chapter three, the book of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What did Jesus say? The wise man hears my instructions and puts them into practice. And he's a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The fool does not hear, does not heed, does not obey. He builds his life upon the sand. The good life requires following God's path. How, 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 how do we do this? How, how does it happen? Well, what, 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 is, what, is, what do the words say? What do the passages say? It says, cling to her, cling to her, hold fast to her. Write that down. How, how do I walk in God's path? How do I walk in the good life of God's blessing? I cling to wisdom like a travel companion, like, like, like a best friend, like a spouse. I hold on. Verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And this is what this might look like. This is some ideas of, I mean, I could cling to her. That's kind of like out there. That doesn't help at all, Paul. Like cookies bottom shelf. Um, internalize God's path. Internalize it. Memorize it, feast on it, know it. My wife will often say, We'll be on a trip. How did we get here? I think she's reading, following up, texting. She loved it. How did we get here? I have no idea where we are. Is that a problem? No, she's not driving. I'm driving. I know where we're going. I know how to get there. I've internalized the path. I know the direction to follow because I know the destination I want to get to. But you don't get to ride shotgun in your life. You are driving your faith. You drive your life. If you don't know where you're going or how to get there, you need to figure that out. I need to ask questions. And I need to follow those steps. Boy, I want a great marriage. 
then I need to internalize learning from those who have gone ahead and what the Bible says and what wise couples have said, here, this is how you have a great marriage. And internalize that and follow that. You know, I run a business. I want to have a great business. Okay, you need to heed what God says. You need to follow best business practices. Talk to those who have run businesses. Learn from them and internalize those things. I want to be financially more capable. Okay, you got to follow the rules. There's a framework that God says to follow. We don't get to where we are by accident, physically. We certainly don't get to where we are relationally, mentally, spiritually by accident either. Anymore, I look down at my cholesterol numbers or I look down at the number on the scale. How did that happen? You don't walk into my wife's backyard where all the beautiful flowers are and the beautiful arrangements are. I say, how did that happen? I don't know. It just, it kind of, who do you know? We like walk down to the back porch like, we're like this is awesome. How did, how did, we don't know how it happens. It just happens. There's no weeds. There's no pests. And everything just kind of grows. We don't, it's, I don't know. I don't know how it did that. No, no, it doesn't accidentally happen. It takes intention and planning and commitment. The uh, writer of Proverbs will say this. He says, do not forget my instructions. Bind them around your neck. Write them upon your heart. Is what he says. Internalize God's path. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, the woman, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law. He meditates day and night. And he becomes what? A tree of life. Who brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does and all that she does prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are the chaff that the wind drives away. So yeah, I would say internalize God's path. You need to make a habit of memorizing, learning, internalizing God's instructions. Here's another suggestion. Welcome God's participation in your life. Welcome God's participation in your life. A couple verses ahead of what we looked at, verse 11 and verse 12 in chapter 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The partnership of a father to son. Lucas might come out to me and says, hey, Dad, I'm working on this piano piece. You help me? Absolutely. Here, Lucas, let's play it this way. Lucas, what if we played it this way? Aiden might come up to me and say, hey, Dad, can we go up to the soccer field? I want to work on this kick. Yeah, Aiden, look at this. Aiden, consider this. Aiden, Jack's going to come. Hey, Dad, let's have a conversation about this. Okay, Jack, have you thought about this? This is the shaping, the proactive shaping of life. That's discipline. And so I welcome God's participation in my life. God, shape me, mold me, form me, make me. God, give me wisdom. That's what James chapter 1, verse 5 says. Any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? Ask for it. I don't have any of that wisdom stuff. Like, I don't know where you keep it. Can I have some of that? Absolutely. And dude, I'll tell you what. You want life to get interesting? Ask God to give you wisdom. Interesting in a good way, because there's two kinds of interesting, right? I mean, you look at some people's life, and it's interesting with a big side of drama. And you look at their life, and that's interesting. That's interesting. 
but interesting in a good way, where God works and moves and speaks and guides and opens. There have been ample times in my life where I've been sitting in my office working and says, man, I really wish I had a, a book on this. And then look over at my library and that book had been donated by someone earlier in my career. Oh. Now that doesn't always happen as my Amazon account will testify to. That happened just this week. I was working through this passage, and there's some ideas that I kind of set aside months ago that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit brought back around this week, and I had to laugh. I sat at my table, and I laughed at the wonderment of God as he works in relationship with me because I welcome his guidance. I welcome his instruction. Here's another suggestion, a third one. How to cling to wisdom. Act with the end in mind. And really, if you're going to get anything, get that. Act with the end in mind. We act with the moment in mind, with the right now in mind. We make our decisions based on right now. The writer of Proverbs says, act with the end in mind. Where does that path take you? What's that destination? Meaning, I, I remind myself, I know this is a moral framework. This is a moral universe that God has created. It's not neutral. I know that in God's creation, he's linked deeds and destiny. Okay, I want to arrive at the destination of strong marriage. That's where I want to get to. So that means I need to take this path, not that path. I want to get to the destination of uh, of good businessman, good businesswoman. I want to get to the destination of financially capable and financially able to support God's kingdom and help others. I want to get to that destination. I'm going to think with that destination. Okay, that means I need to take this path. Which means I have to say no to some things and say yes to other things. Oh, I want my walk with God to prosper. I want that destination. Okay, then you need to make these decisions. Because deeds lead to destiny. Oh, but I like to take this path. Can I take this path and get to that place? No. But if you take this path, you can. I want to invite your input, please. I, I need your help in discerning something. I believe that there's wisdom in the counsel of many. Would you tear out your connection card as a gift to me, please? I've been kicking around the idea of maybe doing a series within the book of Proverbs. We have younger families. We have uh, people young in their faith journey. Maybe not have the blessing of, of growing up decades within a Christ-like culture. And maybe the book of Proverbs would be very helpful for us to go through as a church family. Take a month and a half, a month, just so that I could teach the broad strokes of what the book of Proverbs guides us to. What does it mean to walk in a moral universe? Who is Lady Wisdom? What is the fear of the Lord? The broad strokes of this text. Not so much a 
verse-by-verse, chapter-chapter walk, because the book of Proverbs isn't designed that way, but to take the themes to help us then know how to walk through life with wisdom. If you think that would be helpful for you or our church family, would you write on your connection card Proverbs, please? And you can put that in the offering basket as it goes by. Just kind of help me discern if we think this is something. If I took like this message and I blew it up in broad strokes. And then talk about some of the things. Okay, let's, let's take that, put it through the filter of finance. Let's take that, put it through the filter of relationships or business or, or whatever it might be. Lots of things that the book of Proverbs talks about. Justice, equity. It'll help me kind of discern if this is something that would lead us where we are. For me, it's been a 30-year journey with wisdom. I was about Jackson's age, and I was at a spiritual retreat one fall 30 years ago. I don't remember the speaker. I don't remember the speaker's name, but I remember what he said. He said, if you're going to get anything, get wisdom, get understanding, and get knowledge. This whole sermon for an hour and a half was on those three things. Get this. And that seeded in me. The Holy Spirit took that and pressed it deep. And so I have never been able to free myself of those ideas. And so for as long as I can, as often as I can remember, God, today we give you wisdom. God, lead me with wisdom. God, help me understand. God, help me to know. And I have a long ways to go. But I think it's worth it. Sinead O'Connor took this song that Prince had set aside because he didn't want to do anything with it, and she turned it into the number one single of the world in 1990. The Bible says this is the number one thing in the world that you could possibly get. It's wisdom. And you guys will be amazed at where wisdom will take you to the cross and beyond. But in the same way, the guy who wrote the song set it aside and didn't think it was worth it. I think some people have looked at wisdom and set it aside and said, it's not worth it. Golden riches, give me that. He who finds wisdom finds life. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.